0: And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
1: Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST.
0: This is Forbidden Speech, the raw truth with your host, Christina Rivera. In this savvy broadcasting series, we delve into hot topics affecting us all. With cancel culture and big tech censoring any opposing ideas and thoughts outside of mainstream ideology, it has become more important than ever that we tell the raw truth about everything from U.S. world politics, COVID, Christianity, and everything in between. We invite all points of view to come and share their perspective honestly and respectfully i Vincent Hendricks and welcome to Savvy Broadcasting, Forbidden Speech, The Raw Truth. We're so grateful to have you here today. Uh, for this series. Uh, I, I told you just before the interview, when we got started that we've never had a philosopher on you're a professor of formal philosophy in the University of Copenhagen, and calling all the way in from over there. And uh, you're going to share your wonderful new book, the Ministry of Truth, which when I heard it kind of brought back memories of 1984. Uh, <laughs> but you're going to share your thought provoking book with us. But I'd love for you to share a little bit about your background with our audience before we get started.
1: Yes. So as as you correctly said, I'm a professor of formal philosophy at the University of Copenhagen and the director of the Center for Information and Bubble Studies at the very same institution. And for years and years, I've been studying basically the information society and the way in which it has a big influence on everything from what we take public space to be on one hand, what is free speech, how we are also uh, treated or treat each other online as opposed to online or offline. And most importantly, which is very important for this book, what has been labeled attention economy, and mm. so basically that's a th- that's that's a term that was introduced in 1971. Believe it or not, I was I was one years old at that time. It was introduced huh. by a professor of psychology, an American one. His name was Herbert Simon. He re- received the Nobel Prize in 1978, but in 1971 he said something very prophetically about a, an age for which there is a lot of information. He said. That In an an information-rich world, the wealth of information will mean the dearth of something else. It will be the scarcity of whatever it is that information consumes, but what information consumes is pretty obvious. It consumes the attention of its recipients. And there you have it. In the information age, it's not Microsoft or oil, which is a new asset. It's people's attention, but not as a cognitive asset or a cognitive resource, but as a capital asset. And that is basically the backbone of much of the analysis that's going on in this book.
0: Yeah, it's interesting when you got started there, you said um how your your um study of how people interact and treat each other online and also how it's really taken our attention away it, it's interesting I go down the street and I see people in their in their phone it's almost like they live outside their phone. I went last year to see. Fourth of July fireworks and instead of people just like hey look at the fireworks, they were like mm-hmm. this. With your phone. And I'm like, hello, can we just live the moment without doing it? It's almost like we put ourselves inside of the phone and live life through this information data point called the cell phone. Exactly. And it's the
1: same as the Super Bowl or it's the same as it would be Mm -hmm. at a concert, et cetera, et cetera. If you look at a concert today, you will see a lot of little screens in front of the band. So everybody is their own media now.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know it's, they've become their own kind of small media. But how much of that has taken away from us purely being inside of the moment, uh, and experiencing it if we're so busy trying to get our technology to take a picture of it or a video of it?
1: Yeah, but yeah. absolutely true. And what we get out of that, in the end, once we start posting it online, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, is again, that we are we're little media outlets ourselves. And what we're trying to do is to capture other people's attention. And once we get that mm-hmm. attention, we can convert that into a million different things, from agenda setting on one hand to cool cash on the other, right? Yes. And so, and so okay. there is also an incentive for us as mm-hmm. users. And if we think that since we have profiles on social media that we are sort of the the customers of the clients of the social media, think again. Mm-hmm. I mean, customers tend to pay t- tend to pay for the services. And as long as you don't pay, you are not really the client. You are the product, or rather, mm-hmm. our attention and the data. That is basically the product and the business model of many of the great of the big social media platforms and big tech companies in general, basically relying on this insight back from 1971 from Herbert Simon. You know? And so basically, it's a way of taking that model that attention is a cognitive resource for us and turning it into a capital asset. And the argument is easy. So basically, you will take people's attention using information. Once you take people's attention, you will get engagement. Once you get engagement, you will get traffic. Once you get traffic, you will get data. Once you get data, you can harvest the data, analyze it, pack it, and sell it to the advertisers. So the real customers of the social media platforms are the advertisers. And we as users are basically the products. Yeah. Now that 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 argument is about no is about is pretty known by now. But what we don't think about is another thing that goes into this thing. Namely, that most of our interaction now in many ways, take political interaction, is not going on at City Hall, at City Hall, or some other public space. It's an information structure online, but it's an information structure on private hands. I repeat, it's it's basically that public space is on private hands. Now, had you asked the pioneers of the Enlightenment, had you asked the founding fathers whether public space should be on private hands, they would have come up with a resounding no because Mm -hmm. everybody was supposed to have equal access and no pecuniary interest towards to govern this public space in which democracy lives. Mm -hmm. And so basically that's also an alteration of the way we understand democracy. I mean, I'm not a particularly big fan of Donald J. Trump, but I've got to tell you this. He was voted in by people, by citizens. Mm -hmm. Now, is it fair that private... Big tech companies will take his voice away from public space. Mm. No, that doesn't seem to be something that they should be able to do, because Mm. public space is public and everybody should have access. And nobody should basically decide, or if it should be decided, it should be decided by us as a democracy, not by we the people, not by private enterprising.
0: Yeah, that's, it's fascinating, because, you know, of of time, uh, we've had a number of topics on since we started the forbidden speech series. And what we really wanted to do is have difficult conversations about things that affect all of us across the entire globe. Um, but they've been uh, a few topics that YouTube or other such platforms like Google are like, hey, not user friendly. I'm like, Well, what does that mean? Or not advertiser friendly? Um, and they've taken it down. And uh, so that is it is kind of scary to think that certain voices or certain topics are not allowed if they don't fit in a certain mold. Because what we really want is to have a public square where you don't have to be hushed, and we can all freely speak together and come to our own conclusions. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's really interesting to see what I find and tell me because you said we're, we're the commodity, the people who are going to use Facebook, YouTube, Google, whatever. Um, They use us. And what I find is that a lot of the traffic that's sent my way via Facebook is stuff they find I like to look at. So it looks like a lot of the data we're getting through these social medias are being formulated for the user. So what's dangerous about this is we could all be in our own echo chambers where we don't really hear other points of view, because we're getting thrown at us just the kind of stuff we like to look at. Right.
1: And that's, a, that's 108 degrees on what we take the public square to be, right? Mm-hmm. The public square is exactly, as you said, that it should, be an, it should be a market for opinions, right? So I can throw out my opinion, you can throw out yours, then we can see what sort of traction you're going to get with it. That was basically John Stuart Mill's idea of uh, the marketplace of ideas. And the good ideas, they will survive, and the bad ones, that will basically get weeded out in this very liquid market of people exchanging their opinions. But that is not how it works, Christina. It's not the way it works. This market is not an efficient market such that the bad voices will get weeded out and the goods will survive or the true one will survive and the false one will get weeded out. No, because the entire point of it is whatever is true is not necessarily viral and whatever is viral is not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. So you can end up in a situation where there's a lot of information which is of a subprime quality actually gets to survive exactly because it it grabs or generates a lot of attention. And Mm -hmm. that's the measure. And your recommender-based systems will take into account what sort of stuff gets traction and what sort of things people are willing to pay their attention to. And then they'll give you more of that, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't have a market, both John Perry Balo, right? So the old cyber libertarian who wrote the independent declaration of cyberspace back in 1996 had this idea that we should have this grandiose marketplace where everybody could exchange their opinions. Mm-hmm. And John Stuart Mill had it uh, some hundred years before them, before him. But both of them would probably get a little disappointed in where it, what it came to. And what basically because the marketplace for ideas is not an efficient market. Oh, and by the way, while we're at it, it's on private hands. None of which would <laughs> be according to the ideals of neither John Perry Barlow nor John Stewart, no.
0: Wow. You know what this recalls for me? Um, I remember, Vincent, a number of years ago when the Greek economy fell and and there were chaos and where I have a couple friends who have family in Greece. So I I reach I reached out to them initially saying, hey, what's what's going on over there? And then I actually checked for certain people I knew had YouTube channels to to see what they were, you know, because we're all like our own individual media to see what was going on, because I didn't want to go to even the mainstream media because I know they'll each have their own individual well, just very small window to see things through um so i'm wondering what is your take on how we can get a better view and understanding of true information what's really going on in the world if we're being uh, fed only a certain data point sure.
1: sure okay so in the in the the last chapter of the book is called now what <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that is actually trying to address the issue that you were talking about here mm-hmm. and, and and we and camilla and i come up with three venues that we should pursue one is of course, digital literacy on an individual basis. Some of it is also on us, but there are two more that we, I'll actually address a little more now, namely one is uh, what we call institutional mobilization. And what mm-hmm. I mean by that is we're gonna have to look at some partnerships, some, an unusual partnership for weeding information. So for instance, during the Corona uh, pandemic, which we are still somewhat in, WHO actually paired up with Facebook mm-hmm. uh, to, make, to, to create a forum for which A lot of the conspiracy theories or um, suggestions for how to get over coronavirus by drinking chloroquine, et cetera, et cetera, would would actually get corrected, right? Mm -hmm. So we are looking at some new partnerships for information um, proliferation, but also information editing. And then there is the regulatory part of it as the last one, what we call ideological mobilization. And really what we mean by that is lawmaking. Uh, and policy making, and mm-hmm. and it's an interesting thing to take the U.S. on that particular note, um, because Democrats and Republicans haven't been able to agree on much lately. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's a nice way of putting it, but but there is one place where there actually there is bipartisan agreement, and mm-hmm. that is pertaining to big tech. Something has to be done. Okay, mm-hmm. so the Democrats have been have been rolling out their safe their, their, their Safe Act, and the Republicans have been doing something similar. And so basically, the Republicans' angle on this has been to use, to basically say, these big tech companies are just getting too big. If they think they're so big that they can silence publicly elected uh, officials, then it's time for us conservatives to pursue an antitrust agenda. That is something that Jim Banks came up with. Mm -hmm. And so basically, they want to look at, for instance, the Americans through time, have been very good at antitrust, right? Um, you know, uh, Microsoft has been hit by, uh, by antitrust, AT&T back in the day, Standard Oil, and others, right? So one way to to sort of cope with this is to try to use antitrust. The Europeans have been doing it a little bit differently. I don't know if you know this, but mm-hmm. but the, the EU, April and May, came up with two big law packages. Mm-hmm. One is called the Digital Markets Act, And the basic idea is to level out the differences of this particular information market such that you don't get these monopolies. So that is, in a certain sense, part of antitrust. And other part of it is, for instance, what 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 they call the Digital Services Act. And the Digital Services Act is, where are the users gonna be in this information market? And they have a whole list of law initiatives. for. So for instance, uh, minors are not are not allowed to be with, to be exposed to targeted marketing anymore, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so that is one way to secure that kids do not get information uh, which is, in some sense, only there for pecuniary interest. Of course, mm-hmm. adults in a different story. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also suggestions about reorganizing the recommender-based systems such that the recommendations are not based on, say. Um, uh, on traction, but on chronology, et cetera, Mm -hmm. et cetera. So there's a whole initiative now, especially in Europe, uh, using or regulating the information market such that big tech has um, more responsibility or accountability for the Mm -hmm. suggestions and initiative that they have. And we're going to see more of that. And it also seems as if the Americans are also looking to Europe to get inspired as to how to tackle some of these issues.
0: Yeah, you know, the only thing that makes me a tad bit concerned, uh, Vincent, is that if we have regulatory or set, you know, people's deciding on the behalf of the people, what what's good information, what's bad information, how do we know the people who are regulating or having, you know, Speaking on our behalf and, and making what yeah. information is valid and not valid really have the best interest of all the public. And it's certain information that we do need to know about going to be left out. I mean, I kind of sure. like the Internet in the old days where it was the wild, wild west, and we could all yeah. transverse it. And, you know, there wasn't like hidden agendas everywhere and all that stuff. I mean, I guess we're not going back there because that's over with. But uh, yeah. Well, well, that's so
1: the, too, I understand your point of view, and I certainly also understand your sentiment. But but you can look at it as if that there is going to be a certain body that's going to decide what is true and what is false. Now, clearly, that is not a way to go. But another way to look at it is to say, these law packages are not such that there will be somebody that will take care of what is true or false. It is rather a different argument altogether, namely, that we want to get back to a market, a free market for information, but a free market for information that has an element of efficiency. Mm-hmm. Attached to it, and by efficiency, I mean that the that the the better information tends to have a better to have better chances of survival than they do now. Mm-hmm. But this is not to say that we are we are not going to 1984 here. And when we call it <laughs> the Ministry of Truth, I it, is that, not, yeah. it is not it is not. Of course, it's inspired by Orwell, but we all remember that in in Orwell's 1984, the Ministry of Truth was basically a ministry for propaganda and lies.
0: Yeah, and and throwing, throwing sur- 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 uh, stuff that didn't match the party and the book's propaganda right. were thrown down the memory hole, yeah.
1: Precisely. And yeah. that's not what we are, we're not saying that big tech is like that. But what we are saying
0: mm-hmm.
1: is the fact that they are basically controlling the infrastructure in which also democracy runs, as read the argument I was making before. So they are basically in control of what sort of what sort of infrastructure we have. So mm-hmm. that's at least in terms of quantity uh, in a certain sense being a ministry of truth, but also in terms of quality, because in many ways they also decide what can and cannot be online. And so from that perspective, they, they basically decide who can have a vote, who can have a say online, but also what sort of, what, what sort of information tends to get traction. And that yeah. is a pretty powerful position to be in. And do we want that on private hands?
0: Well, you know, but also in, you know, this is really scary because having it in government official or governmental hands can be just as dangerous because there were during the whole COVID time, certain yeah. doctors who were very credible, who had great information that actually they could back up with facts being um, taken off the major social media as misinformation. And I was like, well, we're not being able to have that dialogue where we can just look at what they have to say and look at the information over here and weigh it ourselves. And that's concerning. Um, That's the only thing concerning for me is I I really wanted to go forward with um, a really fair uh, uh, assessment of whatever the situation is on any topic and being able to see many angles, not just one or two angles.
1: But I think it's also we also have to realize one thing, right? I mean Facebook is from 2004, okay? Mm-hmm. Google is from the late 90s. Instagram, WhatsApp and the others there from 2010, 11, 12. Mm-hmm. And we are in 2022 now, okay? I mean, we only have had this experience for 20, 25, maybe 30 years. So yeah. this is still early time. And the oldest democracy in the world is in the US. The US is not that old, right? The Enlightenment is four or 500 years ago. That's where the initial ideas of democracy came up. And we are still figuring out exactly how to do it. And now some very fundamental pillars of this democracy have changed, right? So we are talking about an online public square. We are talking about an attention economy running an information market. Also when it comes to matters of democracy, where are we going to go and how are we going to do this? So basically, I think it's fair to say that these are early days, but it's good that we are having these discussions now, and not in fifty years, once the monopolies have become <laughs> real monopolies of sizes which are global. Right? And so, basically, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm basically just saying I'm, we should. It's good that we are having these discussions now, but we should not uh, we, should, we should not force something. in now we're going to mm-hmm. have to take the time it takes. Because these are new conditions for humanity. We've never been here before. And we should factor that into account when we make these kind of decisions.
0: Absolutely. Well, this has been fascinating. I really do believe that what you're saying that we really do need to have these deep discussions to see where we're going to go forward. You're right. i um, now the newest generations coming into being children who are growing up. They're growing up from day one with cell phone in hand, iPad, all that jazz inside of technology. Uh, I am a Gen Xer. I did not grow up inside of my computer. I only started probably in the mid 90s. Uh, having my own personal computer so it is a whole new uh, experience and we're going to see how we go forward as humanity but I don't want us to leave without everyone finding out how they can get their very own copy of the Ministry of Truth big tech's influence on facts feelings and fiction where can they get a copy
1: amazon.com that's one of the biggest purveyors of everything from information on one hand to attention grabbing on the other
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And Do you have a website you um that they can go to? Or I, just, that's su- just I
1: certainly do. You just have Vincent F. Hendricks, and my website will come up. It's www. slash uh, dot com slash
0: Vincent. Awesome, awesome. This has been fascinating. I thank you so much, Vincent, for coming to share your great wisdom today on Savvy Broadcasting Forbidden Speech. Thank you for having me. You betcha. Like, subscribe, and share this episode to listen to more Forbidden Speech or Savvy episodes. Visit. SavvyBroadcasting.com. To find out about our paid sponsorship opportunities or how to become a guest, email Christina at LifeUnscriptedRadio.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend, but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times